Good to be here. Uh, we, this is a family service, so we've got to do some family stuff, don't we? So if you are young enough to be able to get down on the floor and then back up again without help, um, you're welcome to come forward. Uh, we'll have some... Yep, there you go. Rosie can do that. Um, well, I'm, I'm... that's great. Yeah, so you do what these guys are doing. So we're going to look at Advent. So last week, Mark mentioned about Advent. Do you know what Advent means? Do we know what it means? It means coming or to come. So when we look at Advent, we're looking at the coming of who? Coming of Jesus. Jesus. It's always Jesus. Okay, I'm going to give you an answer. When I'm asking questions, the answer is always Jesus. We know that. Um, You can sit down. You, You don't need to stand up there. I mean, it makes me feel comfortable that you're standing. But you can sit down. That's fine. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit. To this week we're looking at, last week was about um, looking at hope um, and hope coming into the world. That's what the Advent, first week of Advent was about. The second week of Advent is about preparation. Um, and so we're going to be looking at preparation a little bit today. And when I was younger, uh, when I was actually a, a young boy, uh, living uh, at home with, my, uh, with my, all of my siblings and, uh, and my mum and my dad. Uh, we used to go, we lived in Australia and we used to go on holidays. And we used to go on holidays from the town we lived into called Yakandanda to a town up north called Coffs Harbour. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought, that must be a strange place to live in now, Coffs Harbour, after covid because everyone's just going to be thinking cough is not a good thing. But anyway, we used to go, my nanny used to live in Coffs Harbour, and so we used to travel up there. Now, it's a little bit different travelling in Australia than it is here. So travelling up there uh, for holiday is like travelling to Newcastle from here and back. That's how far it is, as if you travelled up to Newcastle, turned around, you came back. That's the distance we went just to go to Coffs Harbour. It would take roughly 18 hours. And my dad was one of those guys who was always the let's just get there type of a guy. You know, we, always, we all know those people, don't we? Let's, let's just get in, we'll just get there and we'll worry about it later. Now, as a young child, and my mum also was... Not in favour of this often, but as a child being young, just getting there, you physically can't, right? Your bladder cannot hold for 18 hours. (laughs) But my dad was like, no, we'll just keep going. And, And if we needed to stop, it was only out of utter desperation. So you'd have to prepare for these trips. And we would have to start off, and dad was like, we get there the same day we start. So we're not, we're not stopping over somewhere, we're not having a break. 18 hours in a car, we're going to get there. And so my mum would have to prepare. Now, just to give you context, there is also six kids in the car and two adults in a people carrier. And you're going for a week or two to a place where you can't just drop back and get something like you could on the island if you went camping or something. You're there. And if you've got that many kids... You've got to really know how to pack a car. We didn't have a trailer on the back. It was just a boot about this big to the ceiling 
was packed full of all that we needed. So we had to be prepared. And my mum used to just say to us, this is, this is what we used to give. She would give us a pillowcase and she goes, that's all you've got to take. Whatever fits in there, you can bring. And that's it. And so we'd shove our pillowcases and we'd get as much stuff as we could into those pillowcases to take with us. And we'd prepare along the way. My mum would get snacks for the journey and, and we'd have little games to play and we'd have this preparation that we would all be going through. And then the day before we'd leave, we'd have to go to bed early because we'd have to be prepared because we've got to get there in one day. We've just got to get there. Don't know why we have to just get there, but we have to. And when we start, we have to start at three in the morning so we actually get there at a reasonable time. So my mum has to wake up, six kids, get them fed and in a car, ready to go at three in the morning. And so, as you can see, my mum, it sounds like she's a superwoman, really, right? Okay, she was, she was, yeah. But my mum had a way of doing things that actually you didn't want to get on the wrong side of her. So when mum said do something, it was easy just to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And so my mum would prepare us. And this is the other thing. Dad was the one who said we had to get there. And he did none of the preparation. <laughs> so he's the one who's saying we've got this timeline that we need to be there by, made up in his head. And my mum's the one who has to prepare the whole thing. And we get in the car and we travel along. And we have all the games and we prepare it. But only after such a long time in a car, no matter how many games you have to play, no matter how much you fear your mother, <laughs> it comes to a point where actually friction starts happening anyway. Preparation for those long journeys I remember being not a joyous thing, not always the funnest thing to be able to... The excitement was there once we get going. I, I don't know about you, but the start of it, waking up at three in the morning, was actually quite exciting as a kid. Getting in the car was actually exciting. But after 10 hours in that car, it wasn't so exciting anymore. It wasn't so exciting. So my question here is this. For you kids... What are some of the things that you prepare for in life? Do you prepare for people coming over to your house? Has anyone done that? Um, bits, of it. bits of it? What what would you do in preparing someone to come? If you had a friend coming over to stay, would you clean your room for them to come see? Yes. Yeah? Did you hear that one? He said yes. Just hold him to that one. Yeah. <laughs> what else would you would you prepare going on a holiday like I did? Would you prepare for a holiday? Yeah? What would you do to prepare for a holiday? Pack a suitcase. Getting the camper van ready. Yep. Brilliant. Pack a pillowcase. Sleeping bag. Tent. Exactly. It's hard to drive a tent, though. <laughs> very good, very good. Well done. There's many things in life we prepare for. And what are a lot of people preparing for now? What is this time of the year we prepare for? 
Advent. What, ad, what, are we, what are we leading up to? What are we hoping for on the 25th of this month? Christmas! Wow, hasn't, it hasn't been cancelled this year, has it? So 25th of December, we are preparing now. Who's put up their Christmas tree? Whoa, yeah? What else do you... Yesterday! What else do you put up with Christmas tree? Decorations! Yeah, they are awesome. Decorations are awesome, aren't they? Yeah. And what are, why do you put up a tree? What are your hopes going to be under that tree? Presents! Presents! So you're preparing a place for some presents, huh? So good. Is there anything funny that your family does in preparing for Christmas? Anything weird? You can tell me. Your kids, it's okay. Be honest. Your parents are sitting over there. You, you draw on a window. I'm your parent. That's a good one. Very good. So no more crazy stuff. Come on, parents. We need some more crazy stuff. Oh, yes. That's good. Yeah. I mean, hang on. I said that's... That's not forced. It's not forced. Um, yes. Your cat has an advent calendar. Very good. Well, you know... We all need to prepare in different ways. That's good. <laughs> we all do stuff to prepare for this time of the year. Christmas and this Advent season leading up to Christmas is a preparation for us to celebrate the first Advent of Jesus. So what I want you kids to do, which you've already started, which is brilliant. I mean, I don't even need to get you instructions. But we've got some nativity scenes for you to be drawing into. And as you're drawing these nativity scenes, I want you to think, what would you do if you were here? How would you prepare to come before Jesus in the manger? And then what I want you to do, even if you can, think about this. Draw yourself into those nativity scenes. Okay? So as you're drawing and colouring these in, think what would you bring, what would you prepare to bring to Jesus when he was in the manger, and then draw yourselves into that scene. Advent is this preparation to celebrate the first coming of Jesus. But the crazy thing about Whenever you read about the first advent and you read the prophecies about the first advent, this crazy thing seems to happen every single time. When you start reading the first prophecies about the first advent, it almost immediately it seems to intertwine with the second. It's almost like there's no separation. It doesn't even seem to give a distinction. Let me read from you Malachi 3 from verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a, ref- he will sit as a, as a refiner, and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold, 
and silver, and they will offer burnt offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. Here we have this, the messenger coming, declaring the first coming of the Lord, and immediately it's talking about the second judgment's coming. Immediately it's talking about, but who can behold? Who can stand before him? Now when we see Jesus in his first coming, we see him as a baby. Loads of people could stand before him. But immediately as it tells you about the first advent, straight away it's intertwined with the very second coming as well. This intertwined advents, almost inseparable when the scripture speaks about it. We have the same happens when we have Matthew 3 as well. When it speaks of John the Baptist and it says this, John the Baptist, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. When, but when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with, with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Here, John the Baptist, who is to declare the very first coming of Jesus, and he's saying, there is one who's coming, he's coming and he will baptize you in the Spirit. I'm only baptizing you in the water. And immediately he speaks about the second coming. Who told you to flee from the judgment that's coming, from the wrath that's coming? And the first advent is intertwined with the second, inseparable. And as we're preparing for this first advent, we must also inseparably prepare for the second advent. It is intertwined. There is no separation. The scripture does not seem to care whether we talk about the first or the second because Jesus, when he comes, he comes. And we now, as we prepare for the second coming, as we remember the first. The first advent is very good for us to to start with. Jesus knew and God knew the way he must come. See, when Jesus came, he came as a baby. And this intertwined and these two advents are also very clear for us to be able to know that actually the first one is not going to be like the second. And we must have in our mind that the first and the second advents are very different. When Jesus came first, he came as a baby. He came to fully identify with humanity. He became one of us one with humanity, so that no one could say God is distant. God is not here. In fact, the name that was given to Jesus was, and we sung it today, Emmanuel, God with us. The first advent was so that we would know, we would know that God is with us. 
and he humbled himself. This is the thing. When Jesus came, the first time Jesus came to the earth, he came humbly. We read that in Philippians 2 when it says that he, he gave up the glories of heaven and humbled himself like a servant and became a man. Jesus came the first time. He came as a baby the first time. He came to save us the first time. The next time he comes, he's coming as Lord. First time he came humbly. Next time he comes in glory. The first time he came to make a way for us. The second time he comes is to make all things right. This world is in an utter mess. There is chaos everywhere. There is violence and oppression and injustice in this world. There is strong men causing destruction, death and violence. There are people in authority causing confusion and calling what is evil good and encouraging people to sin. There is opposing ideologies causing divisions and hatred. The world is crying out. Creation itself is groaning. It is longing for a strong saviour with the authority and the power to make things right. The second advent, Jesus will return as a king of kings. Let's read from 1 Timothy 6 and from 15. Let me read from verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and the only sovereign the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. This is how the second coming happens. As we, re, as we prepare and as we re-evaluate what it means to, to look towards Christmas. Our preparation is also for the second coming. And though we have the first advent where Jesus came to make a way, and this is what I want us to understand, the first one is critical because he came as the saviour. He came to make a way. But the second one he comes 
to make all things right. And when he comes, he comes as a king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I've often wondered about this statement, king of kings and lord of lords. Why does it say king of kings and lord of lords? Why is not king of kings just enough? Why is not lord of lords just enough? And when we look at the two, there seems to be that actually when you look back in those old and in those historical past, you would often have a king who would have lords. Perhaps now we would say you'd have a ruler with his generals. You'd have someone who had the absolute authority and then you had someone who did the work, who had the power to enact that authority. See, the king has authority. The lords are the power by which that authority is enforced. So when it says that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, it's saying that he doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need someone to enact the power. He has both authority and power. I don't know if many of you follow boxing. It's one of those sports where I'm, I'm not sure whether it's a good thing or not. It, sometimes I admire that the, that the men can, can have that courage to get into a ring. Sometimes I admire... Well, and women. Yeah, but I'm, yeah, that's true. Perhaps not so much for me, but that's okay. But I also wonder about the skill that it takes to be a boxer. Now, I had a friend who did a bit of boxing, uh, and he'd, he'd encourage me, he'd say, come, come do some boxing. Uh, I only had to look at his face to know I didn't want to do that. Um, so brave, yes. Um, but I often wonder about uh, what it takes for someone to get into that ring and the training it takes for them to get into it. And the interesting about boxing is it, is it is one of those raw display of power. The whole point of boxing is to display the power of one over another. They beat each other until one of them, either neither of them can stand or one of them has to yield. One of them has to give in. It is a display of the power. But what's interesting about boxing is those same people, I don't know if you, there was a boxing that match that was on just yesterday between Tyson Fury and um, Derek Tresora. And these two guys got into the ring. And as soon as they stepped into the ring and the ref said fight, they were allowed to punch each other as hard as they wanted. They were allowed to use the full power they had within that ring. They had the authority and the power in that ring. <laughs> Josiah. <laughs> but you see, with boxers, they are both limited in power and authority. If Tyson Fury met Derek Chisora in the street and said, come on, God, come on, let's have it out now. Let's see who will win now. And if Tyson Fury punched Derek right there in the street, he'd be put into jail. Now, the power is the same, but there is no authority for him to do that there. You see, in this world, no man has 
all humans, all man, every single person who has power or authority is limited. They are limited both in their power and limited in their authority to use that. But this is not the case with Jesus. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He does not have limit either in his authority or limit in his power. He is limitless in his authority and he is limitless in his power. You see, Jesus has the authority, which means Jesus has the right to do what he chooses. But he has the power, which means Jesus is able to do what he chooses. And when he comes back the second time, the second advent, he comes as a king of kings and the lord of lords. He comes back in authority and power. Not limited. And this unlimited God, this unlimited Jesus of power and authority calls us now to be obedient to him fully. Not half obedience, not sometimes obedient. Fully obedient to him. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus comes back and when he comes back, he comes back in charge. The commission we're given in Matthew 28 is this, that we are to go into the whole world and preach everything, declare everything, obey everything that Jesus has commanded us to do. He doesn't say go in all the world and do some of the stuff I've asked you to do. He doesn't say go make some disciples some of the time. He's not saying I've given you all this stuff to read, to learn, to know, but you can pick and choose what you want. It's up to you. No. We are to obey fully this King of kings and Lord of lords, unlimited in power, unlimited in authority. Jesus is in charge. When Jesus returns the second time, it will be without doubt that we will see that Jesus is eternal. In this passage in 1 Timothy, it says, Him, Jesus, alone has immortality. Or another way is, He alone is the immortal. Not only is He immortal, He has it to be able to give it. The one who is immortal can make others immortal. This is the good news of the first advent, that He comes to save and to give us immortality. But Jesus is eternal. Jesus didn't begin life in a manger. He didn't begin life being born to Joseph and Mary. That's not where he began. He is eternal. Let me just read Philippians 2. Such a great... Philippians 2, 4 to 11. And I want to see you to see once again... This is talking about the eternal nature of Jesus, but it's also straight away it's talking about the two advents intertwined into one. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The first advent, Jesus comes to make a way. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Second advent. Straight away, the intertwining of one into the other, and yet the eternal nature of Jesus clearly defined in here. He was before all things, and through him all things was made. Jesus is eternal. And whenever we see the the manger We do not see someone who has started there, but this is a God who has started. He has no start, no beginning. He is eternal. John 1 speaks about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. In Isaiah 6, we have this amazing thing where the angels are declaring, Holy, holy, holy. The triune God, forever eternal, forever one. Jesus is eternal. He has always been Lord in glory. And when he comes back, we will see this Lord of glory. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is eternal. Jesus dwells in glory. He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honour and eternal dominion. Jesus dwells in unapproachable light. I had this kind of a an experience of what this may be like. It's a bad analogy, but go with it. Uh, this morning, I had to wake up to finish this. <laughs> Preparation, right? Um, and my loving wife uh, made me a cup of tea to help wake me up in the morning. And it was pitch black as it is nowadays, very dark, and she comes into the room... Um, and, and the light gets turned on. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. When you've been in a pitch black room or very dark for a long time, the light turns on, you're like, I don't want to look. I can't see. It's, it's too much. It's too much. It hurts. It hurts to look. It hurts to look. This is kind of what it is like for fallen sinful man to see the one who sits in unapproachable light. We can't look. We can't see. It hurts. It hurts to see. I cannot look. This light is too much. It's too much. I cannot. I cannot. Jesus dwells in glory. It it shows us. It reveals to us that the full presence of God is too much. It's too much for a sinful, fallen humanity. 
It's too much. Exodus 33.20 says that no one shall see him and live. The light that he dwells in is so much that we wouldn't even live if we tried to see it in our sinful, fallen humanity. The first advent was about Jesus laying down that glory, leaving that place of uh, unapproachable light, of laying down the glory he had in heaven, the king of glory laying it down, the Lord of lords choosing to become the poorest of poor. We could not look on him as he was, as he is. So he laid that aside so that we could be able to see him. When my daughter first came home, and she was laying in the cot, a baby is utterly helpless. And she lays there, and she used to sleep so peacefully that at times we used to go in there and and get down just to see if her chest was still going up. She was so at peace. She laid there helpless, utterly helpless. And whenever you pick up a child, whenever you pick up a baby so young, it can't even hold its head up. It can't even control its head. Its neck is not even developed enough that it could be able to support the weight of its head upon it. And when you pick up a child from a baby's crib, you have to go right down, you have to scoop right underneath it, and you have to hold it from the very bottom to lift it up and out. When Jesus was placed in a manger, when Jesus was laid as a helpless babe, God the Father reached down into humanity. His hands went underneath all of humanity. Down it went, and it scooped up humanity, the new humanity in Christ. And he lifted it out of the darkness of sin. The first advent is a picture of a loving father putting his hands under all of humanity and lifting it out where it could not do it itself. And in that moment, in those moments, we see that God came first to save and to pull us out of darkness and to give us new life. We prepare for the first Advent to celebrate Christmas, but it is intertwined with the second Advent. The first Advent was to make a way. The first Advent was so that humanity could be picked out of the darkness. The second Advent is to make all things right. The first Advent was about the sacrificial lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The second is about the triumphal Lamb, the one who comes as a conquering king. 
We see in the first advent that Jesus came as a powerless babe. He laid aside glory. He he stepped down from glory into our muck. And the Father reached all the way underneath humanity and lifted it up and rescued it. And he became the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He defeated death, the thing that separated us from God, the thing that caused us to not be able to see him. Do you trust him as saviour? Many of us do. But if you do not today, this is your opportunity. As you think of the first advent, the first advent he came to save. Now is the day to trust him as saviour. The second advent, he will return in power. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. But he asks you now to follow him. He asks you now to fully obey him because you have an opportunity to do it now or you'll be forced to do it later. And the later is too late. Now is the time to follow him. But even if he is your saviour today, the question remains, is he Lord? Is he Lord now? Advent is about us preparing for the first Advent, but it is also us remembering that we are to prepare for his second. And in preparation, it is about making him Lord of all now. So I ask this, I ask you to consider this during this Advent time, this time as we lead up in our preparation for Christmas, in our gatherings, in this season that we think about the first time Jesus came as a babe. Consider what parts of your life are still to be prepared for his second coming, for the second Advent. Are you prepared for his second coming. Is he Lord of your time? Is he Lord of your money? Is he Lord of your future and your career? Is he Lord of your relationships and your family? Is he Lord of your hopes and dreams? You have this Advent time. to once more think about the lordship of Jesus and preparing for his second coming. I want us to take communion now together. And as we take communion, I want us to think on these things. Is he lord of all? And in this moment as we're taking communion, I want you in your heart to once again align yourself with the Lord of Lords to repeat your allegiance to the King of Kings, to once again say, I prepare not only for the first, but for the second Advent. There is an amazing song that we used to sing as a kid, and it goes, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The first advent 
brought the trust that he is the saviour and will save us. We now obey in preparation for the second. May I encourage you um, to grab some communion juice and, and the bread and we'll come together and we'll take communion together now. And, and if you are still on that journey of knowing whether Jesus is saviour, then I just ask, just reflect upon that now. But if he is your saviour, then we would offer this. This is a time for us to remember both his death and resurrection, a preparation for his coming again. So grab the, the juice and the wine and then we'll, we'll have it together. Just as we sit, let's just take a moment to think upon those areas of our life that perhaps Jesus is not fully Lord or areas of our life where we long for him to be Lord yet we are still in the battle of making him Lord. Just spend a moment thinking upon these things and, and if he is... Uh, if nothing comes to mind, then just pledge your allegiance once more to the King of Kings. Renew your allegiance to him. We'll just take a moment to do that. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The intertwined advents, even in communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came as a helpless babe. We thank you that you came to make a way. You came as a sacrificial lamb. We thank you that you came to earth to stoop down and to pick up all of humanity so that we may look upon you. You stooped down and picked us up. And you destroyed and defeated death so that we may now look upon you, not as ones who cannot bear the light, but at ones we cannot bear to be away from the light. But in that same moment, as we think of the first Advent, as we think of Christmas, we are immediately drawn by your scripture and your word to the second coming, to the second Advent, to the second time you shall enter into history. 
And you come not like the first, for you come as King of kings and Lord of lords. You come not as a sacrificial lamb, but you come as a triumphal lamb, the lamb who conquers. And so we pray that this day and the days going forward, that we, as we lead up to Christmas, preparing for the celebration of the first advent, our hearts may also be prepared for the second advent. Let us not just make you saviour, but let us look to the second as Lord of all. So we pray, prepare us in our hearts to make you Lord every day and Lord more of our lives than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.